you brought your Bible, I hope you did. Turn with me to Philippians chapter one. Now, I, I, I lamented over this starting this series because I really wanted to just preach straight through this entire book. But over the next four weeks, I'm gonna cover a chapter at a time. I'll kind of hit some high points. And if the Lord leads us uh, and I'm here long enough, I may come back and revisit uh, some other sections in here. Uh, but I wanted to hit some key points during this time right now in our study. Philippians chapter one. Uh, perhaps uh, people today are consumed, if you notice this, people are consumed uh, today of finding these passion of pursuit of happiness. They're looking for happiness. Many times they're looking it through self-help books and they're looking it through motivational speakers and advice columnists and They'll look at uh, all kinds of different mechanisms to help them find the happiness and claim. They'll try to find these happiness that, that, that claim to have the, the true keys to happiness. But many people find themselves that that door completely remains completely locked. Unable to control uh, their circumstances, they find themselves, many in this world today, find themselves consumed or they instead they're find they're controlled by their circumstances. They can't control the circumstances, but they're controlled by these particular circumstances. For, for example, when their job is not going like it should, their relationships may not be right, the right way they should, their house is uncontrolled, or maybe their kids are wayward. Maybe in for the Christian, the church has failed them somewhere along the way. We, we find, try to find all of these happinesses and other different mechanisms and other different ways. Or no, they try to find a new happiness. You know, and I started thinking about happiness. It's that fleeting, that fleeting feeling of exhilaration, that fleeting feeling of exhilaration. It's completely elusive to many of us. Joy, however, is never elusive to us. We can all find that. Biblical joy is uh, the settling conviction that God sovereignly is in complete control over all of the events, places, and people. He is in complete control. Why? Because he's God. He's in complete control of all things. And when we sovereignly, when we trust him for that, we understand we can have that joy for our own good and for his glory. It's available to every one of us. Now, when we look at the apostle Paul, he's an interesting breed of animal, this, uh, this apostle. When he, uh, he is uh, finding all the situations that have gone on in his life prior to writing this epistle. I wanna kind of give you just an idea, kind of a timeline of what took place in the Apostle Paul's life prior to him writing this epistle to the church at Philippi. He uh, was in Damascus, and this was a, before that Damascus Road experience, three decades earlier, actually. And so it is, this, this Damascus Road experience, they sought to kill him. They forced him to flee, and he, they lowered him in a basket at, by night. Later, he was forced to flee to Iconium, and, and he was pelted by rocks, stone, left for dead at Lystra beaten and thrown into jail in Philippi, was forced to flee to Thessalonica after preaching, touched off a riot there, went from there to Berea from where he was also forced to flee. He was mocked and ridiculed by Greek philosophers in Athens. He was hauled before the Roman council in Corinth. He faced both Jewish, he faced both Jewish, um, 
uh, both Jewish opposition, Jewish and, and Gentile opposition in Ephesus. He was uh, about to sail from Greece to Palestine in a Jewish plot to against to force him uh, uh, to change his travel. On his way to Jerusalem, he met the Ephesus elders and they declared, he declared these words in Acts chapter 20. Listen to what he said. Bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. It Except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city saying that bounds and afflictions await me. Now, when you start thinking about that, he is declaring what's about to happen. Listen to what, he goes on to, what, what goes on to happen to him. In Jerusalem, he was recognized in the temple by the Jews from Asia Minor and, and, Asia Minor and savagely beaten, uh, saved from certain death when a Roman soldier arrived on the scene and arrested him. While he was in custody, while he was in custody, the Jews formed yet another plot to kill him. They wanted to kill him. They, they, and, and they, 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 uh, the Roman commander sent him under heavy guard to the governor at Caesarea in Acts chapter 23. It goes on. The story continues on in his life. A case dragged on without any resolution for two years and two Roman governors. Paul exercised his right then as a Roman citizen and appealed to Caesar. And an event, uneventful trip, which included being shipwrecked in a violent storm, Paul, Paul arrived in Rome. And as he wrote to the Philippian church, the apostle Paul was in his fourth year of Roman custody awaiting the emperor Nero's final decision in his case. So when you think about it, your unhappiness is not that big a deal, is it? When you think about what the Apostle Paul had gone through, the author, the penmanship of the Apostle Paul, writer of the two-thirds of the New Testament that we study today, not only was the Apostle Paul under siege, under, under attack, but the Philippian church was also under attack. It was desperately poor church. It was a desperately poor church. It was being persecuted from outside by false teachers. It was also being attacked from inside by a feud of two prominent members. Now, I, I, I almost don't want to tell you who they were. It was two women that were causing issues in the church. Ben, if I can give you a word of encouragement. Please don't preach against women in the church. I can just tell you. They will come against you every time. But these two women were causing this feud inside one of Paul's favorite group of believers. Despite all the circumstances, both of the writer of the book of Philippians, Paul, and the church, the recipient of this great letter, this book, this epistle, it permeates the word joy. In fact, Linsky wrote in his writings, he said, R.H. Linsky wrote, joy is the music that runs through this epistle, the sunshine that is spreads over all of it. The whole epistle radiates joy and happiness. So when we unpack this epistle, when we unpack this beautiful text today, we study the principles that we find there, human author like him, Paul. And ourselves, the recipients of reading this letter today, we can have true joy and we can walk away from this place, changed people in this place. So notice with me, Philippians chapter one, beginning with the first verse through the 11th verse. I'm gonna unpack 11 verses this morning for you to consider this morning. Notice with me, the Bible says in Philippians chapter one, beginning with the first verse, 
Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in every remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation of the gospel, in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am convinced of the, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Verse seven, for it is, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray your joy may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment. Verse 10, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Let the words of my mouth, Lord Jesus, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight today. Lord, I pray in the next few moments as we unpack and look at this beautiful text today, God, I thank you so much for your word. It never returns void. I pray, Father, that it rivets into our souls today. I pray we walk away from this place completely changed. I pray, Lord Jesus, we are radically set on fire today that we can walk away from this place spiritually more encouraged, more encouraged with more joy and more happiness to be about your work each and every day. Father, in spite of the circumstances that we face with each and every day, God, we can proclaim you crucified in our lives death, burial, and resurrection in our own very lives by presenting the message of hope to this world. Father, I pray that we'll be the church you want us to be. And Father, I pray as we interact with those in this community that do not know you as personal Savior, God, I pray that we will be bold with our witness and we'll, be, we'll, we'll stand firm on your word and we give you all the praise all the glory, and all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church said, amen. In spite of our circumstances, we can be strengthened by the fellowship of the gospel, promote the furtherance of the gospel, guard and defend the faith of the gospel. Now, when I look at the word fellowship, fellowship simply means to have something in common. In spite of the difficulties and circumstances that Paul faced while he was in prison, he was found rejoicing. He was found rejoicing. He found the secret through his single-mindedness. He lived for Christ and the gospel. Christ is named 18 times throughout this epistle. And, Christ, and the gospel is mentioned six times in chapter one alone. As if Paul is saying to the church at Philippi, no matter what happens to me, so long as Christ is glorified and the gospel is shared with others. He was committed to that. He was excited about that. He did not 
not concern himself with the plight that he was in. He wanted the gospel to be presented. Being true Christian fellowship, having true Christian fellowship means much, much more than having a cup of coffee and a piece of pie with somebody else. It means something more than just having a meal. While I love that, by the way, I do love banana pudding, and I do believe beyond a shadow of doubt you can tell some of the spiritual depthness of a church by how good the banana pudding is cooked. I really honestly believe that. That's not in the scriptures, but that's my theology, so to speak. I do believe that we can find the fellowship around a meal, but it's much deeper than that. Christian fellowship means that we have something in common. Fellowship keeping will keep us from complaining about the circumstances. When we're around other brothers and sisters, we should be encouraged to talk about the good things that God is doing. Now, we need to have those hard conversations occasionally, right? We need to have some of those hard conversations about the things that we need to change about ourselves and our lives and our church. But we also need to be uh, together to not to complain about the circumstances. It should strengthen us. Now, when you notice the Apostle Paul, he's illegally, he's been illegally arrested. He's incarcerated. He's been beaten. He's been sped upon. He's been stoned. All through his life, he's going through all of these different circumstances, even though all of that, he has the wherewithal to bring a Philippian jailer to faith in Christ. That ought to encourage all of us. That ought to even make a Baptist shout hallelujah. You see, Apostle Paul is going through all these difficult situations and it's pointing us to uh, helping us understand how we can have that joy. Now, I want to bring you to our outline this morning because I want us to look at three things because I think it, this kind of sets the tone for having a joyful heart, that we can have that heart for one. First of all, when we notice how we can have joy and produces Christian uh, fellowship, let's remember the things that we have in common. If you'll notice with me in verse one, of actually verses three through six, I thank my God in my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In the view of your participation of the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Church, listen to me. Gather in here real close. We need to remember the things that we have in common. The first thing we have in common is salvation. If you're a Christ follower in this room today, we have salvation in common. That is the work that God does in us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works that any man should boast. So you see, folks, we have salvation in common. We can come from different ethnic backgrounds. If we are saved by his glorious grace, we have that in common. So what we need to do is remember those things that we have in common. Salvation is the work that God does for us. Sanctification is the work that God does in us. Would you turn with me quickly to Romans chapter 6? I want you to notice this beautiful passage. Romans chapter 6, verse 22. Now, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, many of us Christ followers that have been in this room, we've used this verse a lot in a gospel presentation. For all is sin and comes short. Well, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But if you back up to verse 22, this drives home the point look what it says but now having been freed from sin if you are a Christ follower in this room Romans chapter 8 verse 1 there is there now no condemnation for those who are 
in Christ Jesus. So if you're saved by his glorious grace, you have been freed from sin and enslaved to God. You derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ or in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So salvation is the work that God does for us. Sanctification or made holy or changed is the work that God does in us. That leads us to the thing that we have in common is service. Not only salvation, sanctification, but as the Christ follower, we have service. That's the work that God does through us. Now, we love that Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, don't we? We love that whole grace passage. We love standing up and declaring that. But we leave that at the water's edge sometimes, don't we? We stop there because verse 10 really gets into our soup kitchen, does it not? Look what it says in verse 10. For you, uh, for you are, you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for, say it with me, good works. We are created for good works. You see, that doesn't, we can't just sit there and expect somebody to come to faith in Christ. We cannot have osmosis evangelism. We've got to proclaim his name. We've got to literally share the gospel. We've got to get into a gospel conversation and let the Holy Spirit do its work. But he has called every one of us. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now, it goes, it goes on to say, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Folks, let me tell you something. The things we have in common is salvation is the work that God did for us. Sanctification is the work that God does in us. And service is the work that God does through us. The apostle Paul is saying, I've got you in my mind. Notice something in this passage. Nine times does he use a phrase, you all. I was thinking about that on my drive over this morning, that little phrase, you all. Those two words, you all. The apostle Paul had to be from the south, did he not? That boy was not from Pittsburgh. He was from the south. You all. I have you all. Y'all is the way we'd say it in Alabama. He said, I have you all in my mind. He said, I am thinking about you. Isn't it remarkable that the apostle Paul chained to the Philippian jailer, gone through all what he'd gone through, knowing he's writing a church that's in disarray, it's desperately need of, 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 of resurrection in its own life, desperately needs a rejuven rejuvenation in its own spirit, and the apostle Paul is thinking of others and not himself. Look what he says in verse 3. Turn with me to Philippians chapter one, verse three. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. You see, we need to remember what we have in common. Secondly, let's remember that Christian love is not something we work up. It's something that Christ does in us and through us. Notice in verse seven, Nurse, verse seven of our text today, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You all are partakers of grace with me for God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He has you in his heart. That's what Paul is saying. You see, folks, when I, when I noticed that, those two verses, I noticed that I, I saw something there. I saw that Christian love is the 
tie that binds us together. It's the thing that ties us together. If you would turn with me to 1 John, turn, turn with me quickly, 1 John, that's right before 2 John. 1 John chapter 3. I want you to notice something in verse 14 with me. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed out of to death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Now, I want you to notice what that simply means. We are commanded to love one another. Now, I'm going to blow you away. There's some people that don't like me. I know that shocks many of y'all. How does that happen? There's some people I know that don't like me. And guess what? I've got some people that I don't really care too much for either. But I want to tell you one thing. I love them with all my heart. You know why? Because Christ loves them. Christ loves them. And so Christian love is not something that we work up. But it's something that God binds us together. Christian love is not something that, 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 Christian love is the thing that binds us together. Christian love is not something that we can completely work up. Christian love is, uh, Christians who practice love always experience real joy and real peace. If you'll turn with me quickly to Colossians chapter 5, you'll notice this. You've, you've studied this before. Excuse me, Galatians chapter 5. I said Colossians, but Galatians, Galatians chapter 5. Notice what it says in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Christians who practice love always experience real joy and real peace. So let's remember the things we have in common. Let's remember that love is not something we work up. It's something that God does inside of us and through us. Paul says, I have you in my mind. But he also says, I have you in my heart. Now I want to ask you a question. Don't raise your hand because I don't want you to have to reach over and smack your husband. But how many of y'all remember when you fell in love? I, I know that moment when I fell in love with Miss Debbie. This coming May 10th, if, if the Lord tarries and we still uh, live together, we, we make it till then, I'm sure we will. We will celebrate our 36th wedding anniversary. Now I know y'all said, well, y'all just getting started. Well, kind of. Some of you are, are it's four or five months, six months, a year, whatever. Some of you have been married 60 plus years, right? 36 years. But I remember the moment that I fell madly in love with Miss Debbie. It was on our first date. I mean, I looked at that girl and I said, this is the one. She just doesn't know it yet. And I worked it up, man. I did everything I could. I, I mean, we, we, she fell madly in love with me and I fell madly in love with her and things started working. And, and so we didn't have this long drawn out engagement. I invited her to be my spouse and do life with me and, and to do life with me for the rest of our lives on this planet. We went out on October 19, 1979. We married May 10th in 1980. I asked her to marry me for August and we kept moving the date up. And finally, she said, time out. I cannot get this wedding any sooner. I cannot do it any faster. We can't do it anymore. We're going to stick to this date. Do not move it to April. She said, I love you, but I don't love you that much yet. Amen. Paul is telling the church at Philippi, I have you in my mind. I'm thinking about you, but I have you in my heart. You see, my wife, my bride today is worshiping at my home church in Birmingham. I'll be away from her tonight. You know why? Because I'm over here working. I'm doing my job. I'm over here serving this church. I'm doing what we're called to do here. But I still have her riveted into my heart. That's what we have in common, folks. 
As Christ followers, the, the, the Christian love is not something we work out. It's something that God does in us and through us. And Paul is saying, I have you in my heart. We need to be forgiving one another, amen? If we wanna let the community know what First Baptist Fairman is all about, be the church that forgives one another. We remember what we have in common. We remember that Christian love is not something we work up or something, it's something Christ does in us and through us. And thirdly and finally, and I'm through, let's remember the deepest Christian fellowship and joy we can experience in this life is at the throne of grace, praying with and for each other. I find it interesting that we have a designated time as the body of believers to come corporately to pray. Now, I know we can all pray individually, can we not? Amen. We have that ability to go boldly to the throne of grace. But isn't it something special when the body of Christ can gather together to pray? There's a church in New York City. It's called the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church. One of their largest worship gatherings throughout the week is their Tuesday night prayer meeting. I have attended that Tuesday night prayer meeting on my personal, personally, I have attended that. A friend of mine and I flew up there just to go to prayer. We didn't go to the preaching service. We didn't stay over for the weekend. We didn't go to hear the music, which is spectacular there. We went for the Tuesday night prayer meeting. And when we got there, we noticed the line outside the door down the sidewalk in New York and Brooklyn. I said, what is going on? They ha- I thought we had to have a ticket to get in. The place was packed to capacity and the whole event, John, was based around praying for one another. Folks, let me tell you something. We can have scheduled prayer meetings and nobody shows up. Church, it's time for us to be a house of prayer. Let us remember the deepest, deepest Christian fellowship and joy experiencing this life is at the throne of grace in praying with and for one another. Notice what it says in Philippians 1, verse 9. I, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let us remember the things we have in common. Let us remember that Christian love is not something that we work up. It is something God does in us and through us. And remember the deepest Christian fellowship that we have is when we are praying with and for others that we know. Christians that have a pure heart will have a a heart abounding full of joy and discerning love. Christians that will pray with and for each other will constantly be talking about what God is shaping and doing in their own personal life. You've noticed those people, they'll come up to you and say, Pastor, let me tell you about what God is teaching me in my quiet time alone with him. Church, let me tell you something. Many of you have been praying longer than I've been alive. I know some of you have been Christians longer than I've been alive, and I'm 61. We got some old people in this room, amen? But we got some young people in this room as well. But I'm here to tell you, it is time right now to shake this community. We have the opportunity to shake the foundation of this community with our prayer. The effective prayer of a righteous man, what? Availeth much. So Paul is saying, I have you in my mind. I'm thinking about you. 
We need to be thinking about one another, thinking about those that have not been here in a while, those that have gone on to other churches. We need to encourage them to be involved in that ministry there. But if they're not, come back and be with us and see what God is about to do here at First Baptist Parapin. So we need to be having, like Paul, having others in our mind. Paul says, I have you in my heart. And Paul says, more importantly, I have you in my prayers. That's why we presented the little card for you today. Inside your bulletin, that card, you can take that card and you can place that name. You see, I've always found it to be interesting. If I write the name down, I'm more apt to remember the name. If I write it down, I'm more apt to say, you know, I'm gonna take that and transfer that into my prayer journal and I'm gonna pray for that particular person. Folks, let me tell you something. We have not because we ask not. If we want God to stir the baptismal pool of this church with new believers coming to faith in Christ and identifying with this New Testament church, then we need to pray like, it's not, like it completely depends on us, knowing that it completely depends on God. But he wants us to be a part of that great endeavor. So let us remember that true Christian fellowship and joy can be experienced in this life when we are at the throne of grace praying for and with others. True Christian fellowship produces joy, and it is the single-mindedness of that Christ follower that produces true Christian fellowship. Let's pray. You may be here in this room today, and God has spoken to your heart through the singing of the words of this testimony of this dear brother, and maybe God has, has, has riveted into your soul and, and etched in, your, in the corners of your heart today that you need to make a commitment to be that prayer warrior. Many of you physically are unable to make a trip to Pittsburgh. Many of you are unable to make an international trip to England or wherever else we may be going. You may be physically unable to make a trip very far, but you can pray. You can be a part of a great prayer awakening in this community. And I believe beyond a shadow of doubt that we, we have a unique opportunity to be something completely special for this community. But it starts with us on our face before the Lord in prayer. And so for the next few moments, I know that we are past the noonday hour, but we're okay with that. Because I believe beyond a shadow of doubt, there are some of you in this room, if given an opportunity you would come to these stairs and make this an altar and you would join me here and pray and ask God to launch us from this place to be the church that has a heart for one. Not the masses, just one. Just one. If each one of us would make the commitment to share the gospel to at least one, God would honor that.